Welcome to another episode of On the Job with Porak. I'm Brian Marvel, president of Porak. With me as well is Porak Vice President Damon Kurtz. Today we're back on Zoom hosting Congressman Devin Nunes, who represents California's 22nd district in the San Joaquin Valley. He's been in the House of Representatives since 2002, and his priorities include strengthening the nation's security against terrorists and foreign threats, and reducing the size and scope of the federal government, among other initiatives. Congressman, it's an honor to have you with us today. And uh, how are things going with you? Well, great. It's great to be with you. I've had Damon on my podcast before, so I'm glad to be on your podcast. And I'm coming to you from California, so I'm not in Washington, D.C. So that's which is good because we're surrounded by fencing and razor wire and and military personnel in Washington, D.C. So it's great to be back here in, in California. Great to be on with you guys today. Yeah, we appreciate that. And uh, I'm sure that'll be a question we talk about a little bit later. I know Damon wanted to say something. Uh, I was just going to say it was a good segue because that's one yeah. of the topics we wanted to know is what do you think about that fence and when do you think it's going to come down? Well, you guys will appreciate this. Uh, normally, you only take action if you have some actionable intelligence. So whether it's law enforcement or military or, or other security uh, type of apparatuses, you will not just go off of rumor and innuendo on things that you see on the internet. So what's happening is, is that there's this narrative out there that the left is trying to build against Republicans, that somehow we're all terrorists, we're all insurrectionists, uh, which, is, which is really ludicrous after you watched all last summer, uh, where there was an attack on to defund police, there was an attack, uh, accusations of law enforcement like we've never seen before. A new country was created within the city of Seattle. We've continued to have numerous federal outposts that have been under attack. So granted, nobody is supportive of people breaking windows and breaking into the U.S. Capitol that happened on January 6th. But I think there's also a little bit of a misnomer here that that somehow people exercising their right to assemble in our nation's capital to have a rally that there's something wrong with that, that there's something wrong with people going on the internet and saying, hey, let's all go to Washington, D.C. and let's protest members of Congress. That is something that we have rights in this country. Now, the people that used hammers to break the windows out, that's not okay. But clearly, and if if any of you have been to the Capitol before, typically there are, when you know there's going to be a rally, you have appropriate fencing set up. Well, in this case, There was not appropriate fencing, even though there was plenty of intelligence that said, hey, there's going to be a couple hundred thousand people or more in the nation's capital. We should probably have adequate fencing. That would have been actionable intelligence. Instead, the day of the riot at the Capitol, uh, Pelosi was screaming, uh, send the military out, send the fencing out, put the razor wire up. So which happened, by the way, that night uh, it happened. Uh, But by then, everybody had left D.C. Since that time. There is no actionable intelligence that would that would require not just the fencing and the razor wire, but also thousands of National Guard troops. It's costing taxpayer dollars, millions of dollars, not to mention 
when you're part of the National Guard, you typically have another job. You, I'm sure there's probably plenty of guardsmen that are part of uh, your organization. Right. And they're sitting back there in Washington, D.C. No one's there. It's all shut down. They shut all the roads, roads off. No visitors are coming into Washington, D.C. The Capitol's closed because of COVID. All the Smithsonian's are closed. And you have the White House and the Capitol walled off. Now, I'm old enough to remember back in September when the Republican National Convention president gave his speech in front of the White House because of COVID, it was gonna be held in North Carolina, but anyway, he ended up doing it there at the White House. It was surrounded by left-wing activists who had a right to assemble, uh, but there, there were a lot of attacks on senators, on congressmen, on people that were leaving, uh, and the Democrats were mocking uh, the president, when the Secret Service was saying, hey, maybe we need to bring in some some extra help, some guard help. Uh, so they were mocking him. Uh, but now, of course, we've ignored all the other damage, all the attacks on law enforcement, on private businesses. And now they're just making stuff up to have this ridiculous fencing and razor wire around the Capitol for no reason whatsoever. And now, you know, now we're even gone. So Washington, we're not even going to be in the Capitol now for three weeks. So they should have immediately taken it all down last week, but it's still it's still there with nobody in Washington. It's 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 just ludicrous. I know it was it was you know when you think about the fencing around the Capitol, I I just assumed it was just around maybe the base of the Capitol property there. And uh, I, I did a Google search, and some person I, I forgot who it was. He actually walked the perimeter of the fence. It's three miles long. I was shocked to see it, the extent of that. Fencing. It is so ridiculous. So the capital that so typically when you have rallies or, or people that are going to come in and, and protest, you typically just what you said, Brian, which makes total sense. You just take kind of the perimeter of the capital. They'll put up appropriate fencing. Sometimes they'll do double fencing. They'll have a, a smaller fence and then with a, a larger fence in case somebody was to was to breach it. You know, and I've been there so, several times in my career where you'll have the entire capital surrounded with tens of thousands of people. And it's never been an issue. You know, just think of how vulnerable we were after September 11, 2001, with all the terrorist cells that have operated in the U.S., all the attacks that have occurred, uh, you know, all across the United States of America. These, these would be the radical Islamic attacks. And we've never had this type of security around. So you're exactly right. Being They've cut off all the main arteries. They've put fencing around places that I think most people wouldn't even know that those are federal buildings. It's, and it's been really damaging. It's not just the, the damage that it's done, the appearance that it gives to our allies and adversaries around the world, uh, but also it's just, it's really hurt a lot of the businesses that are within that perimeter too. I don't know how they'll, they'll survive or if they're gonna be bailed out or what. It's been pretty disappointing to see the just how toxic politics has become over the last few years. And I mean, I know it's been building, but you yeah. know, it's hard. It's really hard to operate even here in California, you know, just at the state level and sometimes even the local level with the, how toxic things have come and how easily manipulated the public has been by the use of social media and the media to believe some of these stories are quite outlandish at times, you know, and, you know, I, maybe it's just because of what I do or I've been around, but it's, I typically don't jump to conclusions on either side of the aisle of what's going on because, you know, rhetoric's been around forever, but people usually don't believe it, you know, hundred percent, right. It's mm -hmm. sometimes it's some of it, a lot of it's theater and it's been that way for years, but now people are believing that political theater to the point where they're almost in a panic and it's, um, and they're, and they're capitalizing on it. It's crazy. Well, Damon, I, I remember when we did 
the podcast, I think, I think it was right around the time we did the podcast last year. Mm-hmm. And it was when the police were in law enforcement were under attack. And, and you guys probably follow this a lot closer than I have, but we had horrible attacks on law enforcement in the state of California. People shot at point blank range mm-hmm. and, and essentially the kind of open public areas. This should have been priorities one, two, and three that all of our elected leaders went out and said, look, we have to have law and order in this country. We are not going to attack our law enforcement officials, but there's been a normalization of this because the lack of public officials speaking out against this type of activity. Uh, and then of course, now you've had the degradation of in, in some counties in this state with activists becoming district attorneys and prosecutors that aren't even going to follow the law. So now uh, I I would hate to be in your shoes, uh, law enforcement shoes in California. I know a lot of people in law enforcement and it's gotta be so, so damn tough because you're, you have to be so restrained. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, you never know if, if somebody's is coming up with a, you know, they're gonna shoot you at point blank range. And then you, of course, have to sit back and almost wait for that first shot to be fired. It's, it's got to be very, very difficult and frustrating, I'm sure. It's very frustrating for us. I mean, I think that's one of the frustrating things for our, for the, and for morale for our, our troops and our guys that are actually out there, guys and gals that are out there working, is there's been a legitimization in the political realm of the attacks on law enforcement that somehow means justify the ends. And that's not who we are as a, as a country, as a, as a nation, that, that that's not okay. You know, so it's a little frustrating that you see, say, like the riots in the Capitol, those are really bad, but all the riots across the United States, those those ones are mostly peaceful. In my eyes, which, which by the way, they, they were not, yeah, right? Exactly. So the so the if you take the, the the riot at the Capitol, one of the things that's frustrating is as a as a, someone who spent a lot of time in military and intelligence issues, uh, I like to deal with facts. So the one thing we still have yet to see, we've heard about uh, you know, all of the narrative and all the rhetoric about why we need fencing and that, and that there's this extremism that's going around, right-wing extremism, and people are saying things they shouldn't say uh, on social media and they're being censored. But what we, what we haven't heard a lot about are, the, are the, the degradation of basic institutions in this country, whether it be, that should be independent. So the court system, for example, district attorneys that now you've got where even liberal Democrats, liberal and in, in, in Los Angeles County's case, I'm not, I don't represent Los Angeles County, but you had a very li- longtime liberal African-American district attorney, very successful, I think had a, pr- a pretty good record supporting law enforcement, was ousted by a white dude from San Francisco that is essentially saying, I'm not going to enforce any of the laws. I know there's a recall undergoing now. So that's going to be Super frustrating that now you have law enforcement that gets attacked or you make an arrest or you do something, you know, when you bring that prosecution, nothing's going to happen. So it's the breaking down of the institutions in terms of the prosecution to attacks on law enforcement to the judicial branch that in order to have a thriving democracy, uh, you need to have some of these institutions are critical to be nonpartisan, very fair, blind, a, a blind justice, so to speak. And that is no longer occurring, and you know, especially in, in the state of California. So I, I share your frustration. Yeah, clearly uh, California is continually marching towards decriminalization of crime. I mean, even in Sacramento, some of the bills that we're seeing are just, they're turning misdemeanors into infractions. They're turning felonies into misdemeanors. 
you know, they want to legalize uh, LSD and hallucinogens. I just don't understand how people can continue to support this type of legislation and these types of individuals when, you know, all you're doing is creating more victims. And it's almost like victims are no longer, they get nothing from the judicial system. Um, they're, and with these laws, they're not going to get support from the law enforcement community. And, um, you know, we get beat up as uh, police labor unions, but I almost feel like we're at the point where we're that bulwark between the flood of legalizing everything in the state of California. And it's just sad to see how far we've gone when it comes to, uh, to not prosecuting any crime in this state. Well, I can tell you, Brian, that people of California support you. I think overwhelmingly, but they don't know what they don't know. And I think a lot of the people in California, there's no, uh, you talk about institutions, the media is also an institution that is completely corrupt and decayed too, to where a lot of these bad bills and pieces of legislation are not being talked about. So for example, you know, you'll never hear about how the far left took out a liberal African-American lady in Los Angeles County. It's almost, you don't, you don't hardly even hear about it. And in today's kind of woke culture, uh, you would think that would have been an issue. Why was why would we be taking out a very successful African-American lady as a district attorney and replaced by a white guy? Now, look, I don't have any you know issues with white guys or African-American ladies or whatever. I'm not into all that woke stuff. But you would think that there'd be some obvious things that are pointed out, but they're not. And that's the same thing that that is going on in Sacramento right now with this with this legislation. And as somebody I mean, you guys have to deal with this all the time. But you talked about the decriminalization of very hard narcotics. And I know you, the two of you have been around this a lot. I've had a few times in my life when I've dealt with, well, we probably all, all have dealt with the, you know, our drunk buddy or friend or whatever at a party or something. But I'll tell you, I mean, a few times I've been around people who are on these hallucinogens and I'll tell you, they're, they're tough to control. I mean, I can remember a few. So if you can imagine if you have LSD running rampant around this state, I mean, we already have enough people that are out on the street with all the homeless people that half of which or more are on, are on drugs. Imagine if now this is everywhere. You know, how are you going to do the basic crowd control at large events if you have a few people out there that are not only drunk, but also on LSD? Um, they're hard to put down. I mean, a lot of times it takes you know, a few people just to put somebody down like that that are on hard drugs. So speaking with all of the, the toxicity and the, the partisanship that we're seeing, and, and we asked this a little bit with, with all the elected folks that we have, do you see a path forward to, you know, I, I always recollect, obviously I'm dating myself here, but it just seemed, you know, the Tip O'Neill, Ronald Reagan era politics is, is like gone, long gone. Um, do you see a path forward to where maybe we could have mitigate this toxicity between both parties and being able to come together and actually work for the country and for the people versus working in these silos that we're sort of seeing? Yeah, I think that's a, it's a great question. And I, and I don't think it's going to happen until you see the strengthening of institutions. And it starts with, it starts with basic things like law enforcement, courts, uh, enforcing laws that are, that are on the books. People have to have trust. They don't mind losing in a democracy, whether it's an election or a piece of legislation that gets passed that you don't agree with. 
as long as people think it was a fair process and the laws are being implemented fairly and everybody's being treated equally under the law. So those institutions have to make a comeback to be truly nonpartisan. You know, nobody ever wants to be in a situation where we think that our police department or sheriff's office or military for that matter, or courts that somehow, well, those guys may be, I think those are, are left wing now. I, I don't want to talk to them. You know, we don't, we can't have that in this country. We have to see all of those institutions as completely 100% nonpartisan. They, they have to be. Uh, and then the other issue is we really, we, we can't have censorship of social media. That, that's not acceptable to where you have these huge companies a very few companies that control all the social media and all the advertising. Because that, once again, is putting down people that want to have the right to voice their opinion. Um, I do think that, that ultimately uh, the courts will at some point step in. You're starting to see some of that. And that, and that deals with defamation and slander. So what we've done, uh, the media has been weaponized, mostly for the left. And they've been weaponized for these left-wing causes. They're either supported by left-wing billionaires or they're nonprofits that are being supported by these big tech oligarchs. So we've normalized that it's okay to just accuse our opponents of things. Now, I've been at the brunt of this. I've been at the forefront of this. Uh, I've been fighting this through the courts. And I think ultimately, once people figure out that it's not okay as a public figure uh, that you have to go through some sort of special loopholes uh, that average citizens don't go through. So uh, it gets into you know very complex legal law, but New York Times v. Sullivan um, that treated public figures differently. Uh, the truth is that it is not okay for media organizations or even pretend media organizations to just make stuff up about your opponents. And so once the media starts doing that, you start going downhill that makes it okay for or not just the media, but then your political adversaries, uh, for example, to run around. And this is this has been happening the last four years. Just happened last week. You know, every Republican now is somehow some kind of secret Russian agent. That's not okay, right? It, we can't have that in this country. That you have media not either either saying it outright or not holding politicians accountable that are out accusing their political opponents of treason. I mean, that happened to President Trump. He spent all this time and still today, you still have media people, you know, talking about people being Russian agents. This is madness. Like where did this doesn't, this is not supposed to happen in the United States of America. So the bottom line is this, I think that the courts, we trust the courts ultimately to step in. It's the courts and also having these institutions be strong. At some point, I hope they'll make a comeback, Ryan. And I think that's when you'll see uh, people start to actually come together again. Until that happens, though, I think we're we're going to continue this slow degradation. Yeah, and I, I think on the we could probably have a whole other conversation just on the media, especially anonymous sources. Uh, yeah. And yeah, you have several agencies quoting the same anonymous source, and then they have to retract the story. It's like, how many anonymous sources were there? And it seems like they just made stuff up. But uh, I really appreciate the conversation, Congressman. Uh, hopefully, we can have you back on the show uh, down the road. One thing, every time we come to DC as an organization, your office always welcomes us. Uh, we are always excited to, uh, to visit and talk policy uh, with you. And, and we definitely appreciate all of the support uh, you've shown us in law enforcement, uh, not only here in California, but nationally. Um, and like you stated earlier, and, and like we talked about a little bit today is, 
know, we appreciate all the support that we do receive from elected officials and uh, from the uh, citizens uh, that we protect and serve, and, and we took an oath to do. Well, first of all, thank you for having, having me on, uh, giving me the opportunity to, to talk to all of your members. But also, uh, secondly, I love the police and the sheriff around here, so don't... Uh, <laughs> Uh, they've had to put up with a lot. So I, I, you know, I've had to have their protection. So please, I'm not, uh, I, I really appreciate uh, all that uh, you guys have done for, for me and my family through some uh, very difficult times. Well, we appreciate you and your voice. Uh, they're representing us. So it's uh, goes both ways there. All right, Damon. Thanks. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you all for joining us on this latest episode of On the Job with Borak with Congressman Devin Nunes. We hope you enjoyed it. As always, we'd like to close this podcast by thanking all our PORAC members and our nation's law enforcement. We hope you stay safe and have a great day. PORAC is California's largest law enforcement organization and the largest statewide association in the nation, representing over 77,000 public safety members since 1953. Our monthly podcasts, as well as past episodes, are available on PORAC.org, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, PORAC's YouTube channel, or where popular podcasts are downloaded. Be sure to follow us on all our social media platforms and tag us with your suggestions for future show topics. To learn more about our organization, visit us at PORAC.org. We are Porak.